he was enjoying the fact that it was this very realistic looking prop. I think right. the residents of Kirkland, Washington weren't appreciating it as much as he did. <laughs> oh, right. So one. <laughs> one. <laughs> that's exactly what happened. So Oh no. So somebody right. Welcome to Game Dev Advice, the game developers podcast. Your place for resources and in-depth conversations with other game development professionals. I'm your host, John J.P. Podlasic. I've worked at 10 different game companies, starting back in 1989 with the TurboGrafx-16. Over the decades, I've developed games like Mortal Kombat, Avengers Initiative, Beavis and Butthead, and numerous others. I now work for a startup called Level X. But this podcast isn't about me, it's about you and the game development community. So if you have questions or ideas, give a call. 224-484-7733 or go to the gamedevadvice.com website. So let's kick things off with the new Game Dev Advice. Hey Rick, how you doing tonight? Good John, John. How you doing, man? I am doing good, all things considered. Uh, so I just have to say your name twice just in case you don't know it, you know. <laughs> J squared. Uh, <laughs> uh, but thank you for being on. I'm excited to be talking. Yeah, to you. John. Thanks for having me here. Cool. Um, so top of mind, COVID-19, how are you doing right now? And, and how's that going with work and everything? Well, as long as I don't watch the news, I'm doing fine. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's tough. It's tough watching, you know, seeing all the sad stories and, and yeah. I mean, not just, you know, the families losing loved ones, but, the the financial markets and the, uh, Mm-hmm. the economy and the protesters it's it's all um you know it makes it makes it hard to focus you know yeah definitely um, it's, it's scary and shocking and concerning and all those rolled into one yeah yeah but i'm thankful because i uh i'm still healthy i haven't gotten it yet and uh no one i know in my family has uh so so i'm just uh i'm really thankful for that and and i'm still employed so uh so i still get to to earn a living so what's your current role right now? So I'm, I'm currently studio animation director for, for Polyarch. And uh, we're a small mm-hmm. studio making VR games um, uh, formed by just a, a bunch of friends that all used to work together at, at Bungie. So when I say animation director, it sounds like, like if you worked at EA, you know, like, or, you know, some big studio or publisher, yeah. what an animation director is, is, is very different than, than what I do. Because, you know, when you have a team of like, for example, Moss One was made with 15 people total. Wow. Um, the animation director doesn't just direct an army of animators. I literally animated the whole thing myself. So, like, it's more, <laughs> it's more like when I say animation director, it's more like an aspiration for the future. No, that's impressive too because I've not had a chance to check out Moss, but I've I've heard a lot of buzz around it and stuff like that. So that no, oh, thanks. Yeah, it's you know it's a tight team, and you know we. It it was a dream project for us, something we just wanted to do, and it even started out as just like a little fun thing for a few of us on the side, and mm-hmm. and then just grew. And then I think the nice thing about projects like that are, you know, it's because you're doing it because you love it, and then oh, you happen to make a living out of it. No, you've made a company out of it. Great, you know. And then it's it's less about the the dollars and cents, and more about doing something that that is really fulfilling. You know. Yeah, that's great. And the company, uh, Polyarch? Yep. And how long have you guys been around? It was started by uh, three guys, Tam, Danny, and Chris, back in 2015. Um, okay. I was working with them kind of on the side for free, just, you know, 
mm-hmm. for fun to, to just, you know, spare time type of thing. Yeah. And then I joined in 2016 for full time. And then we actually got funding and started paying ourselves later in the year in 2016. No, that's good though. I mean, you've been going related. Like how did you get started in the video game industry? It's, you know, I've, I've always been a hardcore gamer my entire life, even like back when I was pretty young and it was just me and an Atari. Um, you know, I, I really enjoyed playing it. I even, um, when I had my Nintendo playing Zelda, Mario and all that, I, yeah. I told my sixth grade teacher that I don't need to do my math homework because I'm going to make video games for a living. Because <laughs> um, I knew at the time, like, someone's getting paid to make this stuff. Right. Why, you know, why not, right? Yeah. Um, I had no idea how to go about go about getting there, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you know, as I get older, you know, I branch out into other systems, the TurboGrafx-16 being one of my, my passions when I was a teenager. Thank you for your support. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you. Uh, it, that turned into um, a passion for art. And mm-hmm. it's funny being an artist because, you know, when you're in high school, you know, everyone kind of branches off into their thing, right? And I was known yeah. as the this, this school artist. And, and being a gamer, I figured, well, that's, that's how I'll break in. I'll use art to get me, to get me into the school mm-hmm. or, sorry, to get me into the industry. Yeah. When I was in college, because I went to Savannah College of Art and Design, because I'm like, well, that's, you know, I'll learn yeah, how to get that's there. That's a great school. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It was especially back in the, the mid-90s when I went, the transitionary period where the, the 3D industry was just emerging, because Toy Story had just come out in my first year of college. And, oh, wow. And we were, we were all blown away by, by what Pixar had pulled off. And I started thinking, okay, games are going to go this way. You know, games right now are all 2D, but... You know, I could imagine in the future, you know, this animation style that Pixar is doing could eventually end up in games. So mm-hmm. I changed my major from from illustration to 3D computer art, which was my major, okay. which is very broad. And then got a degree in that. And I, sure enough, it, it paid off because, you know, PlayStation with their 3D graphics and everything started going in that direction. And then I was the only one. Um, that was able to like back then, like if you knew how to open Maya, you got hired, right? Because <laughs> they didn't have enough right. people that understood that. So kind of broke in and, and Maya is the standard now, but I didn't use yeah. Maya until 2004. To be very much like Max was for in-game frame rate dependent stuff. And Maya was more for the cutscenes, yeah. high poly count, really beautiful. And but now that the hardware caught up, Max is kind of dead as far as I know. Yeah, you still see it pop up every once in a while. Like I've got some students that that use Max. Um, mm-hmm. And then we've got some character modelers that still prefer Max. Uh, even at Polyarch this this day and age, it's really? it's still okay. used, yeah. I, I don't see many animators working in it professionally anymore. I think there's a lot of... Uh, Blender seems to be very popular these days. It seems yeah. to be going in that direction. While Maya yeah. is still the top dog. Yeah, I hear a lot, a lot about that. Before I get in the next question, like you mentioned students. So there's the... Uh, animation uh, Sherpa, right? Is, is that your your? your yeah, Animation Sherpa is my school. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's cool. uh, it's it's neat neat little side gig. You know, I used to teach at iAnimate.net uh, for years. You know, it was always you know they set the curriculum and they set how the classes flow and the amount of time I needed to dedicate to it was was pretty mm-hmm. substantial. So I figured, well, you know, I might as well look into what it would take to do that for myself. And, yeah. You know, define my curriculum and, and really have a little bit more autonomy and it's so far it's working out it's brand new i just started about three months ago what do you wish you'd known when you'd started <laughs> i don't know ignorance is kind of bliss isn't it <laughs> exactly yeah i know how to open this file okay let's do it 
<laughs> this is all going to work out. Here you go. If I knew how hard all this would be, I don't know if I would have gotten into this industry. You know? <laughs> exactly. You know, when, when I started out, it was, you know, I, I, I was born and raised in New Jersey. I come from a family of really poor communicators, and I had no idea how important um, communication would be in, in a team environment. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, if, if I, you know, I've grown, I, I think out of everything that I've, I've gotten better at over the years, it's my communication has, has grown the most. And it's it's a necessity in this industry. I wish I could go back in time and tell myself you need to really focus on morale, collaboration, mm-hmm. um, open mindedness. Um, really need to get better at this stuff because it's you know coming from the the background I had, it was a struggle for me, and mm-hmm. you know I, I I still catch myself doing you know boneheaded things. You and me both, yeah. No, and um, th- that is key, especially too when you want to get more into um, a leadership role and you're more doing stuff outside of just the got my headphones on and animating some uh, character type stuff, um, communication and collaboration and figuring out how to work together with people and stuff is all super important. Yeah, you nailed it with the leadership role thing. Like that was, you know, when I first got into the leadership opportunity, like it, my first lead role was at Monolith on the Condemned series and. Back then, I, I didn't know what it meant, and there was no training. Like they just, you're very good at animating here, manage people. Um, <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's, it doesn't prepare you for something like that. And I had no idea back then that leadership meant facilitating and inspiring. Like mm-hmm. I had, I thought it meant making the calls, which was, you know, right. about me instead of about the team. So I, I was backwards on it. And it, it, you know, it's, it's the type of thing where you get a good mentor with that kind of stuff, and. Yeah. And it just like, all of a sudden you see the whole world differently. And, and mm-hmm. it's, it's, it, you really need to, to learn those lessons if you're going to be a successful lead in this industry, which I think is part of where crunch comes from, isn't it? Like, yeah, you know, you're very good at your trade here, manage people. And then it doesn't go well at first because you're not getting that, that training, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're just kind of winging it and you're kind of just guessing how to do it or doing how it's been done before. And maybe it's not the most efficient, the smartest way to do it, but you yeah. don't know any better. And, um, and then it's pizza run at midnight. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or 6 a.m. waffles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm flashing back though here. So uh, oh, I think we've all had that moment. Right. That you're, you're, you're getting in that numbness, the, 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 the march of crunch where you're just kind of numb to what's going on and you just tunnel vision to try and hit that deadline and everything else. And the drool spot on the couch that is only yours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So what advice uh, would you give someone looking to get their first job now, just given the state of the industry in 2020 and and things like that? Well, you know, I've been uh, being in the teaching business for so long, you know, Mm -hmm. I've I've given this advice to a lot of people. And I think that there's a lot of different answers to this question and different different approaches that you can make. But I think what it comes down to is that the best advice is to evaluate your situation and then make honest calls that, uh, how do I say this? Like make calls that are fit for what you're looking to do that meet your goals. So what, what do I mean by that? Well, it's, it's like, let's say, you know, you really want to make games for a living or you want to be an animator or something like that. You know, take a look, not just at what you're capable of doing, but like, look at those around you, like the, the people that are doing the job that you really like and what makes them good at that and, and how are they doing it? Mm-hmm. And then um, start asking yourself, what do I do that they do? What's in common? And what don't I do? And what do I need to learn that they've yeah. obviously figured out? 
Mm-hmm. And then what do I want to do? And how does that align with what these people have been successful with doing? And mm-hmm. I think for me, like when, when I was learning how to do this, is I do a bunch of combat animations and stuff, and I put those on my reel because that's the type of work I wanted to find, right? So I'd yep. look at other combat animators, and back then it was on VHS, so like I'd you know, <laughs> just find people's reels on VHS, or you know, if I when online was a thing, start looking at other reels online and start comparing myself to what they're doing, and start seeing what my you know idols are doing, and and start yeah. tailoring my work to the type of work I wanted to find, and just being true to what I was looking for, mm-hmm. but. Um, so many people get lost in the, the, well, I've gotten this much better in the last month, therefore I'm ready. And they're not really mm-hmm. doing that, that comparison. And they're not really asking what the job market needs and what they're looking to get, you know? They're in a, a very, very, very small pound of one, right? Where they look at themselves and, and they don't realize, uh, extract back and, and see at 30,000 feet where everything's at and where people are at and where they fit into that, um, especially competing against other people for similar roles and stuff. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of work. Like, it, like I would be nervous trying to break into the industry now because A, it's really crowded with super talented people, mm-hmm. but B, it's it's also more refined. Like back when when you and I started, it was yep. the Wild West. You know, you, you, right. you, no one really had a format. It wasn't like figured out. So it was us figuring it out as we went. Yeah. But now, like the amount you need to know just to be at a basic level at a studio is just tremendous. So mm-hmm. like the competition's high, the bar is super high. It's intimidating. And I, I have a lot of uh, respect for those that are, are making it right now. Yeah, you're right. Because th- there's just a ton of people trying to get in. So, th- so there's a ton of competition. So you have to figure out how you're that top 10% and how you distinguish yourself and, and how, you know, when there's 60 people all fighting for that same role, like what is what's your real, what, what have you done that's going to stand head and shoulders above everybody else that's going to get that art director's attention to be like, yeah, let's talk to this person, you know? Yeah, you can't mail it in. You can't just do the minimum. You can't just, uh, I did the homework, so I'm good. And you go back to playing your game. Like the stakes are higher and the and the bars are higher in terms of the competition. So you really have to have your uh, shit together. Put it yeah, and, but yeah, and social network too. Like it's it's mm-hmm. not just what you can do, but who you know, right? Yeah, and, and that's actually something that's around now that you and I didn't have, right? It's a way of connecting with other like-minded people, whether it's, you know, through uh, Discord or Twitter, following different hashtags for different types of roles and seeing what people are doing and, and um, where trends are going. And so what about advice, uh, you know, for somebody who's an animator right now, a visual artist, somebody like yourself? Animation is the art of, of bringing things to life, bringing characters to life. And I think so mm-hmm. many animators forget this definition because I, I've seen so many animators out there that believe it's the art of motion. And uh, what are, what's the difference? Like, why, why would I say that? Um, if you look at animation reels, 70% or, or possibly more will have characters that move, you know, they'll, they'll do a walk, walk cycle. Yeah. Classics. Yeah. yeah, They'll do an idle. They'll punch. They'll, they'll essentially do gameplay clips or, you know, actions or something, but they won't animate. They'll move. They won't animate because the reason I'm saying they're moving, but not animating is because they don't look alive. They're just, they just look like they're moving. Right. It's the idea behind the the animation that makes more of a difference than the clip itself. So mm-hmm. if you have a character that just looks really unique or in character when it's walking versus 
um, your generic looking walk that can be done by anyone on any character. Yeah. Like if you have a motion that you've done for your character, and if you were to take that motion and just put it on another character and it would look just as good, that mm-hmm. that's, that's not an animation. So I, I think, you know, for anyone starting out, it's stop worrying so much about your movement and start worrying more about your plan, about who your character is, about the psychological impact of what that character has on the viewer. Um, mm-hmm. And then how do you represent that? And it's it's really easy when you're learning animation to get hung up on, okay, my arm is traveling through space and I have to massage these keys and my ends. And there's, yeah. there's so much to learn with that stuff. And, and you know, I can't fault for some, somebody for getting lost in the craft, but mm-hmm. the, the ones that are really excelling are the ones that understand that that's just there to support the idea and that the idea is key. Mm-hmm. Levels of that too, where somebody can think, okay, well, I'm going to worry about my character's history and I'm going to find a way to imply, you know, that this character has existed before this walk cycle where they have mm-hmm. a limp which implies, okay, at some point they were wounded. That's why they're limping. So then it, it makes the, the viewer ask questions, you know, that yeah. they're not asking out loud. They're, they're asking themselves, oh, it's got a limp. I wonder what happened, you know? Mm-hmm. That's step one. Step two is then starting to play with themes and reflecting the personality of the viewer back on them. Mm-hmm. And then step three is sentient. You know, like, how do you add like a sentient you know, feeling to your character. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, with the work we're doing at Polyarch, we're trying to go for that step three with this mouse character, Quill, that we're, he is the protagonist of Moss, where she just doesn't mm-hmm. run through the world. Um, you know, she she has an opinion about the world she's running through and she'll give you those opinions. And I, I think that that's, that's important to character animation. I think that's the future of this industry. And I think artists that are getting on board now are going to be better prepared for that future. And the artists that are get, getting stuck in the, I need to make a tack clip and I'm going to have it swing to the left. And that's the depth right. of their thought. You know, that they're the guys that are not going to be around much longer. This is a big question because you've worked on games. I'm just looking here, um, you know, Destiny, Halo, X-Men, Duke Nukem, and a bunch of, bunch of other ones. So like what's been one or two of your favorite games or projects to work on? Uh, Moss is definitely my favorite. That's great. Yeah, that's very cool. It's, well, you know, it being a passion side project for me that turned into something real, that I mean, mm. that, that gives it a one-up. Plus, it's it's all the stuff that I'm interested in rolled into one game. But um, a second pick, a dark horse for me, is Condemned. Okay, Monolith, right? Condemned. Yeah, Monolith. It's because uh, it was, back then, it was first-person melee combat in in a world about people that have started to lose their minds. So it's, it's digging into psychology. It's a very complicated first person melee system, which at that time had never really been done well before. And it was just so much new challenges involved in something like that. And the team was incredible. Uh, Early two thousands, right? Something like that. Yeah. It was around 2004 is when I started. The game was somewhat underway when I got the job there. And I think we shipped in 2005 as a 360 launch title. So in terms of the industry, like, um, what are you curious about right now? Um, AR, like what, I think that the potential of AR and its, its ability to not just mm-hmm. be, you know, a game platform, but to, to mix the fantasy with reality is really mind boggling. And the, the potential use spaces for something like that is, is, is unlimited right now. It's, it's yeah. such a, a great open book that has yet to be written. And then what about um, potential threats or 
concerns around the industry? You know, I don't think the game industry is going anywhere. So like, if you, if you think about it from like a big picture standpoint, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, we'll probably take hits and the industry will fluctuate, but I think overall it'll always exist in some form um, because yeah. of the way modern society works. But mm-hmm. I think that, you know, if you look at recent history with loot boxes and, you know, yeah. politics and uh, especially, you know, crunch recently, it's been a big topic and, Gamers are starting right. to become aware of, of the plight of game developers and the lifestyle that we lead. And mm. uh, I think you're going to start seeing um, studios that embrace the crunch culture are going to start taking more and more of a hit and um, if they yeah. haven't already been taking enough of one. And I think that if you, know, you get enough, it, you get it to a tipping point, it might change production schedules, it might uh, change quality of titles, but it will mm-hmm. benefit the life of, of the people uh, working on these games and I don't know. I think it, it could really yeah. disrupt the industry, um, especially if unions, which I don't think is a bad thing by any stretch of the imagination. Like anything I say here is not like we shouldn't crunch, mm-hmm. um, but acknowledging the effect that unions could have on the way money flows in the industry, it can change things and, and affect things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's complicated. Yeah. The cr- yeah in, in the crunch, um, Hey, hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, please go to patreon.com backslash game dev advice. We'd love to see if you can support the show and help uh, new episodes keep coming out. That's patreon.com backslash game dev advice. Thanks. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's interesting because it's it's always been the industry's dirty secret, right? And, yeah. and people just didn't talk about it. And all of a sudden, you know, it's like, oh, this thing. And I can't believe they're crunching. I'm like, you know, did you read EA Spouse in 2004? And, you know, I, I've seen it since the early 90s, right? So I think the fact that it, it, there's a light shining on it more and um, people are saying, you know, kind of enough is enough. And that's it's not acceptable. And especially, too, on the player side where... Um, you know, some people don't care and they just like, I want my game. I don't give a shit if you have to work 9,000 hours a week, but there are some people that are like, no, we'll wait a couple months and don't kill people. There is kind of a, a bit of a pendulum swing that's finally happening. So, um, yeah. um, I'm thankful. And then, yeah, I'm thankful too. And, and, and for studios too, that go out of their way to, you know, say we're part of the solution, not part of the problem. Right. So, yeah. um, part of where I'm at and where I'm at now and stuff like that is like, no, this is wrong and let's figure out ways to schedule stuff and, um, you know, work uh, smarter and figure out how to do things that's not making people sleep in their offices and stuff. So, yeah, I was listening to one of your uh, previous podcasts and you mentioning that what you're doing now is, is, um, one of the benefits is, is you get to set those schedules and not, not take part in those, those crunch marches the way you used to have to. Um, mm-hmm. and that's, that's part of the reason that I joined Polyarch. I mean, Bungie wasn't, Bungie wasn't a very crunch heavy studio, actually. Bungie is better than most when it comes to crunch. And I really didn't crunch much at all there. But Mm -hmm. going to Polyarch, I mean, we decide period how much we crunch. 
And, and I, yeah. I did a bit on Moss, but it was because, you know, it's 15 people making a game. And if the game doesn't ship by a certain date or doesn't sell a certain number of copies, we don't get to exist anymore. So there was, yeah, there was some necessary crunch just for survival. Um, but now mm -hmm. that, you know, the game's done fairly well and we're more solid, um, now we can make those decisions and we can come up with plans for mitigating crunch. And it really makes a difference when you have kids and, you know, you want to lead yeah. a life outside of work. Well, and it, it pushes people out of the industry too, right? I think we were talking earlier, the, the average tenure is seven years and you and I were like, well, how the hell are we still around? Right? So, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, um, it, uh, I'm just a ward for people. Yeah. <laughs> you can't get rid of me. We both. Yeah. I get out and I get pulled back in. And, uh, yeah. It's like Godfather too. But, um, yeah, people, um, want to do that anymore. And there are other options and other areas that, they can earn a similar or better living with a better work-life balance. So yeah. And it's tough too. I, I understand console games are huge and the budgets are insane and marketing has insane demands and stuff. So um, yeah, I'm not saying you just snap your fingers and everything gets cool, but uh, how can you be smarter? How can we not um, crunch people so that they um, tap out, you know? So, um, yeah. It's, yeah. I've seen, you know, um, I've, I, I have students that I trained, you know, back in my anime days who got into the industry and have already burnt out. So here I am still doing it. And then they're, you know, they pieced out, they dropped the mic, you know? Yeah. And it's, yeah. You said you had somebody that went two companies, four years of crunch straight. Right. So it's like, yeah, that's I can't, you know? I can't blame them after an existence like that. Like, you know, I don't know if I'd stick around either. Like the worst crunch I ever did was 10 months. And, um, I think I'm lucky cause that's not much compared to some of my peers over the years that, that have had way worse than that. And it, yeah. it's, um, I can understand why people leave the industry with something like that. And how do you, how do you have an industry with senior talent and people that have like, how do we have the Masamune's, you know, folding the swords for 80 years in this industry, if, if that's the way we're going to treat them, you know? Right. And all that knowledge just disappears when people just say enough's enough. And then you have, it's like you keep relearning those lessons and you're bringing people in and, and, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I'm so lucky I suck at everything else in life. So <laughs> I'm going to be sticking around <laughs> in this industry. So everyone's stuck with me. Right. Yeah, officer and gentleman, you you can't get rid of me. I can't go anywhere. Or whatever that line is, right? I got nowhere to go. Um, that's my bad, Richard Gear. Um, and what about opportunities? Like, you know, we talked about AR, but like, what other things are you excited about? Um, platforms, technology, things like that in the industry. You know, I'm, I'm just excited about the way uh, um, everything's like the games 10 years ago were very static and regimented, you know, they, like they had certain formats, like there were genres and stuff that you'd go to. And then there, the reviews would all talk about how well they hit these bullet points on these genre expectations and stuff. And yeah, I don't think that you don't see reviews like that anymore. And you don't see gamers think in those terms anymore because games are becoming more ubiquitous. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's going to continue going in that direction. So like, you know, five, 10 years from now, the question can be asked, is this a game? Because I think games are turning more into experiences. And mm. like, if you look at like Amazon shopping, they've pretty much gamified shopping, right? <laughs> um, yeah. So really is, is shopping in an Amazon a game? Uh, you know, if you look at like all these new technologies, AR and VR, like if you're walking mm. down the street and you start seeing, you know, like 
you know, um, visuals overlaid on top of like shops and like you start seeing like little fantasy creatures walk past you on the street as you're walking down the street. Like, right. like that's the future. And it like, is that a game? No, is it, it's not a film. Like where does it fit into entertainment? And I think right. a, a lot of us game developers can start branching out to some of those areas that are, are more life experiences or changing the way we perceive reality. Um, mm-hmm. As an animator, I'm, really interested in that kind of stuff because one of the things that that i learned in, in vr with with uh, moss is um when we were animating quill the things that people remark most about in their views were how real quill felt to people and how she reacted to them in more realistic ways speaking sign mm-hmm. language and whatnot um yeah now imagine if we had some type of an ar app where you can just put on your glasses start watching a movie on your couch look to your left on your couch and there's quill sitting there eating popcorn watching the movie with you (laughs) like it's not a game but that's a great experience and i I can imagine that the industry is going to start branching into all these areas no that's that's cool and yeah to your point too about games like it used to be kind of like marketing people with bullet points and these are the genres we have to fill and even recently thinking um not super recently but um the untitled goose game right like yeah, that, that's a great example. You know, what, what, you know, yeah, it's just like this, you're just going around and just punking and harassing uh, people and turning on uh, sprinklers and doing stuff, but there's no structure in terms of the, the bullet points that uh, marketing would be like, well, we can market this to 10 billion people. You, you know, it's just this kind of weird, quirky, fun experience of exploring and, and cause and effect and seeing what happens. So um, That's a good example of how... Um, the indie indie market and how how the bar mm-hmm. for for releasing self publishing your own titles has gotten so low so so many more people can make their own games and yep. even um, the publishing paradigm is changing so much with uh, investors starting to educate themselves on um, video game development and starting to jump in and invest in studios so publishing deals aren't as important as they used to be. Like there's, mm-hmm. there's some, like the, the industry is changing so much right now. And it's, it's certainly heading towards supporting those ideas and supporting those new concepts that the indie market used to be the only venue for. Just to touch on VR a little bit, because you've obviously worked in that and um, you know, what was that like and, and, and creating in VR and taking the headset off and on and, and doing all that work and publishing and just kind of give a little glimpse into uh, your process. It's, it was so much fun and cause it's, you know, it's new technology. So, and I'm sure you're going through this too, which is the, um, no one has blazed this trail already. So we've got to, we can't just look yeah. to what was done before and, and use those. Figure to, it out. Yeah. It's like, you have to get in there and, and answer those questions before you have the answers for them because no one has done that for you yet. Um, mm-hmm. So it's from that perspective, it's been really, really exciting. Kind of, kind of touched on this earlier, but one of the things that that I'm personally most excited about was bringing characters to life in a way that that hasn't been done before. Because yeah. when you're watching a, a movie and you see this character on screen, it's this passive entertainment where they're they're doing this performance and they're taking on this emotional journey, and they're mm. they're kind of relating to you as as an emotional being. And when you're playing games, it's more about, you know, I press a button, this action happens, and I have this direct manipulation. But mm-hmm. never before have you been able to reach and feel the heartbeat of a character or literally wave to them and have them wave back or 
um, there's this one moment yeah. where where you defeat this big bad snake and um, it's been this frustrating battle that took place over seven rooms and Quill's probably died many times in the in the battle. So you're probably, yeah. you know, your adrenaline spiking and you're, you know, you're frustrated at, at how many times you died and you finally beat this thing. So Quill rides right. him down and jumps off his head and then turns around and kicks it. And, <laughs> and that moment is the epitome of what VR is to me, because what we're doing is we're mm. reflecting back to the player, their own emotional resonance for that moment, giving you the ability to reach in and touch her and manipulate her and, and interact with her in ways that no other format of entertainment has ever done before. That's cool too, because you, you're right. That player probably has that emotion. Like, man, I wish you just kicked that snake, kill me 68 times. I'm pissed off and I'm so excited. I finally did it. And then when the character does it, it, creates that emotion to quill and you're like yes yeah and it's snake's dead and it, right uh, I'm, you know like minds and all those kind of yeah things. it's it's all built off of like that emotional bond you can create with a character that will actually look at you like she'll look you in the eyes like you can't do that in film because <laughs> it's breaking the fourth wall that's actually a rule in film not to do that and in, yeah right in games it doesn't make sense because you're sitting on a couch as a picture on your wall that shows you the image of the game and you're pressing buttons it's this abstract format so if characters start looking at you it's kind of weird you know so i'm sure you have a lot but what about like a funny or odd story from working in the industry oh man <laughs> oh i have so many um all right like, what can i share and i won't get sued <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> Because, you know, there's the old, um, you know, the Wild West days of game development back yeah. in the early 2000s that I'm sure you probably got better stories than I do of that, those times. But, um, all right. Yeah. Bungie. Um, a little company. You may have heard of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I decided to go with this story because Bungie's, you know, huge and everyone knows Bungie. So this would be the most relatable for people. But, um, yeah. Right before I started there, Halo 3 shipped. And I think I actually interviewed the day after the Halo 3 launch party and everyone was drunk in my interview. <laughs> uh, but it happens. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but a year or so before, they were talking to Weta about doing either advertising or a film or something. Um, I don't really know the details. All I know is that they had a lot of props that Weta made, like guns. Mm. They even had a warthog. Like they had everything made for for real life. And Weta, sorry, just Weta for the the audience is the um, that animation group, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. New you, Zealand. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, New Zealand, right? And they're like top shelf, like they're the shit. Yeah, for animation. They did yeah. Lord of the Rings. Yeah, so they, you know, yeah, they're good with the physical props and everything else too. On top <laughs> yeah. of their their stuff, you know. One of the reasons Bungie hired me was um, they hired me as the animation lead because they wanted to introduce mocap, and I came from Monolith. You know, we had a mocap studio there, so I was going to go to Bungie and buy a mocap studio with them and train the oh, entire wow. staff on how to use it. So yeah. I'd say about eight months after I've been hired, mocap is purchased and we got it set up in the building behind our main office. I'm like, okay, guys, we're going to go have our first mocap session. It's going to be amazing. You guys are going to love it. Let's grab some props, some of these Weta props and mosey mm -hmm. on up to the other building and shoot some mocap. So we go up there, we have a good time, capture the mocap. Yeah. And then I accidentally leave a few of the props up there. One of them happened to uh -oh. be um, the sniper rifle from Halo. <laughs> so our uh, security guy, ends up going up there to pick it up because somebody complained they wanted the props back in the main the main lobby of the main building. So he goes okay. up there, grabs this gigantic sniper rifle and starts <laughs> walking down the street holding it. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> With his hand on the trigger like walking down the street like he's some military guy. 
And I think right. he was enjoying the fact that it was this very realistic looking prop. I think right. the residents of Kirkland, Washington weren't appreciating it as much as he did. <laughs> oh, right. So one. <laughs> <laughs> no. that's exactly what happened. So oh no. So somebody somebody calls it in. Sure. All of a sudden the SWAT team storms the lobby of Bungie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> go, go, go. brothers. I'm I'm like, I'm in the next room like I don't say a word like I didn't like I, no I don't know what, I don't know what happened man I don't know I don't know how I got left right. up there <laughs> oh man that had to be uh heart racing there for a little bit and no 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 oh yeah just that conversation but the, what this yeah. no it's a prop oh that's where you're gonna kill me no 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 it's just a prop I can just yeah don't worry about the it. poor security guy like that had to be like yeah. the worst day for him Oh, that had to scare the shit out of me. And you know, yeah, that's, if, that's terrifying. if you don't mind, I got like a tangential story to that. Yeah. That's yeah. that's the se- cool. that's the second time uh I, I incurred the wrath of a SWAT team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, two for yes. <laughs> well I had to repeat the first one was Yeah, like yeah, it was too much fun. Let's do it again. I'll keep it short, but the first one was um Yeah, no. It was a um a mocap session at Ravensoft in Madison. Um we were Again, working on, I don't know, some, I forget the game at the time. It might have been a prototype for a military game we're working on that never made the light of day. Yeah, but. and they do Call of Duty stuff now for Activision, so that's their wheelhouse. And right, that, yeah. So. so one of our guys, KP, was, uh, he had some props in his trunk because he does airsoft on the side. So he had a bunch of airsoft guns in his trunk. So he went out to his trunk to get some of the airsoft guns to use his props in the mocap setup. But yeah. at the time, Raven uh, shared a parking lot with the FBI. Madison, Wisconsin. (laughs) They see somebody pulling out a bunch of weapons from a trunk in their parking lot. Oh, they were on him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The helicopters and uh, people jumping out of windows. Yeah, that that, uh, scaring the shit out of that guy. It was a full on 2319. They just jumped in from the ceiling. It was amazing. Wow. Well, I've never talked to anyone that's triggered the SWAT twice. So uh, you. You have that uh, honor for for sure yeah. for a long time. Yeah, that's great. That's that's. I'm, I'm glad nobody got hurt. So that's that'll... yeah. I think that's what makes it a good story is that no one got hurt. I think if if people yeah. got hurt, I would never tell that story again. Right. right. And that's the last we saw of Bob. <laughs> so in terms of games you're playing uh, right now that you're excited about, is there anything that jumps out? Being an old school gamer, um, Final Fantasy VII was this. Um, watershed moment for me is uh, I was in college mm. learning, you know, learning animation. And when that yeah. came out, I'm like, Oh wow. 3d in games. This is, this is how it's done. So I studied the hell out of it and it was a big influence on me. So now I'm playing the, the remake and, mm. you know, seeing the nuance of character and, and what everyday life was like in, in Midgar and, and seeing all the detail of, you know, the broad strokes that were in the original, it's just mm-hmm. so nostalgic and so intriguing all at the same time. So cool. What about anything I should have asked you about but didn't? You know, I think um, one thing I didn't mention that uh, I just want to talk about is, you know, the the VR industry and um, AR. If, if you look at, you know, what VR and AR meant to people 20 years ago was, you know, Lawnmower Man sex scene and the holodeck from Star Trek, right? <laughs> right. But the thing that, that, that those two examples despite how diverse they are. But what they have in common is that human element, that that form of connectivity and being able to essentially communicate with um, a a virtual sentient character. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm really excited. And I think think that's the secret weapon of VR and AR is the next 
big technological advancement is that emotional bond with it a character so Mm -hmm. like i'm i'm excited to see where uh, like how we start going towards those virtual sentient creatures like the you know you remember tamagotchis 20 years ago right like oh yeah oh yeah god yeah yeah right like what is that version like a a sentient tamagotchi like and and how do you exist in the world with them and how do you what makes them feel real and how do we make them feel real like it's taking like everything that made film so emotional and appealing to so many people and and mm-hmm. games so interactive and and you know so cathartic and like merging them into your real life and like the 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 problem space for something like that like how it, how we're going to solve those problems is is immense but the the end result is yeah. like the limit is really only what you can imagine so I like yeah i think once we get past the the urge to to port um existing experiences into vr where it doesn't quite fit and doesn't take advantage of the medium i think once once that step is done and we've we've exhausted the porting then Uh you know you're going to see more and more experiences that really take advantage of of what the strength of it is and that connection with these virtual characters yeah if you played the new um the new half-life on vr oh my god it's really good yeah, that's what I've been hearing. I, I'm like, I need to check that out. And um, it seems like... Yeah, they are... The, that's probably the best. Like, if you're getting into VR and you really want to experience it, like, I can't recommend that enough. That's probably the best experience you can have right now. Not not just from, like, the, the way it interacts and the mechanics of it, but, you know, like, the emotional resonance, the autonomy, and, and just the experience. Yeah. Well, cool. Like, where can people find you online? Um, website, Twitter, uh animation, Sherpa, all those kind of things. I'll put it in the show notes, but yeah. Um, well, if you want to check out what we're doing at Polyarc, you can visit our um, polyarcgames.com or visit our uh, Twitter at Polyarc Games. Um, mm-hmm. I'm on Twitter. It's Arc with a C, right? So it's polyarc. Yep, P-O-L-Y-A-R-C. Okay. I'm on Twitter at Fufinu, F-O-O-F-I-N-U. Um, thinkific.animationsherpa.com is my school. That's where you can find out information on... Uh, um, on anything I teach there and, and signing up for classes. Mm-hmm. Right now I only have one course that's available because the school just opened, but hopefully within the next couple of years, I'm going to have two or three courses available. Thank you, Rick, for being on tonight. Um, John, thanks. Some great material. Thanks for having me on, man. I, I really appreciate this. And it's also, it's really great to, to meet you. Like, you know, being one of those guys that has inspired me for so much in, in my career, it's it's an honor, man. Well, thank you. No, I you have a hell of a resume. So um, thank you for the kind words. So, yeah. yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of Game Dev Advice, the Game Developers Podcast. Go to the website at gamedevadvice.com and you can find the show notes along with show notes for all the other episodes. Please also check out the new Patreon page at patreon.com backslash gamedevadvice. Have a lot of options up there for how you can support the show. Again, that's patreon.com backslash gamedevadvice. Thanks again for listening and being part of the show. Take care. Bye-bye. It was, it was, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, it was, it was insane. They, they took over the whole garage of like Microsoft and turned it into kind of like a expo floor. And I was at Viacom and we ported some of our games to Win95 to support DirectX One. So it was like a showcase for people supporting DirectX. And it was Halloween and they had paid to have Guar play and the big, oh my God. And they were like, <laughs> giant penis phallic stuff flying on stage and fake blood flying everywhere and and it was just like insane and i was almost like did that really happen i'm trying and i stumbled out online where he was talking about i'm like yeah that wasn't i wasn't drunk it actually happened i was like 
was crazy. But that was the- did they have the crazy outfits and everything? Yeah, oh, did yeah. they go all out? They had like a full concert going on, and and I had like these kids games from Viacom in a little booth and Beavis and Butthead, and I walked by. I'm like, what the hell is going on over here? Just yeah, you crazy. know, this yeah. is the gaming industry. It could have been yeah. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. 